was in the hospital and I woke up with the only thing I can describe as like the worst headache of my life. I'd never experienced a headache like this. It was on my right side, only on my right side, but it extended all down like my neck, which I now understand is your carotid. At the time, I obviously <laughs> didn't know. And I was also having visual disturbances in my right eye. They discharged me. <laughs> my dad picked me up. Within five minutes of leaving the hospital, I had the stroke. So I now understand I was having a TIA, but they didn't recognize it. And so the stroke happened in the car. I lost complete vision in my right eye. I was very sick. I started vomiting, excruciating pain. And then I was like, I need to go to a, back to the hospital. Like this, something's wrong. I am left with permanent vision damage. So I don't see anything at all out of my right eye. It is like blackout black. But I, I remember everything. It was. It was a very dazed feeling, but I was conscious. I almost like checked out emotionally. Like when things got too intense, it's like I went numb. If we go through all the limbs of yoga, it is a path to like love and acceptance. And I threw myself into that. So my recovery involved a lot of yoga, which a lot of people, you know, they think of like headstands. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like so a lot of it was just sitting there and meditating and sitting with my uncomfortable feelings of anger, of resentment, of being ignored, of not being taken seriously. Hello, I'm Mark Goodyear, and this is Stroke Stories, the podcast that seeks out and hears from stroke survivors. Antiphospholipid syndrome, sometimes known as Hughes syndrome, is a disorder of the immune system that causes an increased risk of blood clots. The clots can appear anywhere in the body and can cause heart attacks and stroke. In this episode, we'll hear from Angela Michelle from San Antonio in Texas, who suffered a stroke at the age of 38. Before my stroke, I was a photographer. I had been a photographer for probably two decades, but in my own business, about 12 years. I had built up this amazing photography business I was internationally published, award-winning. I was a speaker, instructor all over the world. So I had a very good business and I loved what I did and I was super passionate about it. I did weddings, obviously, but I also did a lot of boudoir and fashion work. So yeah, that's kind of where I came from. My degree is cultural anthropology. Originally, I was trying to go into photojournalism, but I kind of veered left and I ended up just being my own boss and being a photographer. I remember everything about it. Kind of a daze, but I remember everything. I never lost consciousness. It was 2016 and I was pregnant for the first time. And we had been trying for about two years and I finally got pregnant, super excited, but I wasn't feeling well. And I ended up at first a med clinic and they were like, oh, you have pneumonia because I was having trouble breathing. And two days later, I was worse. So I ended up at a hospital and the hospital was like, yeah, you have pneumonia. And they admitted me. I was there for a whole week being treated. And um, that whole week, it was my first experience of being in the hospital. I had never been in the hospital before, obviously to visit, but never a patient. And I woke up 
on the morning, it was May 24th of 2016. I was in the hospital and I woke up with the only thing I can describe as like the worst headache of my life. I'd never experienced a headache like this. It was on my right side, only on my right side, but it extended all down like my neck, which I now understand is your carotid. At the time, I obviously <laughs> didn't know. And I was also having visual disturbances in my right eye. So like things weren't matching up. They were like zigzaggy. So I kept telling them, like I kept paging them. And I was like, y'all need to check me. Like something's really wrong. I don't know what it is, but it's really wrong. And they ignored me. They dismissed me. They said, oh, honey, it's just anxiety. You're fine. You've been here a week. In fact, we're going to discharge you because you probably just need to go home and sleep. And I was like, are you sure? Like, I just, something feels wrong. And they're like, no, 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 it's anxiety. You just need to go home and sleep. They discharged me. <laughs> My dad picked me up. Within five minutes of leaving the hospital, I had the stroke. So I now understand I was having a TIA, but they didn't recognize it. And so the stroke happened in the car. I lost complete vision in my right eye. I was very sick. I started vomiting, excruciating pain. And then I was like, I need to go to a, back to the hospital. Like this, something's wrong. So I ended up at a second hospital and that hospital did not recognize it as a stroke. They let me sit there for about five hours. And because at this point it was like later in the day, and because I lost vision, they were like, you need an ophthalmologist. And the only hospital that has an ophthalmologist at this hour is University Hospital. So that's where you have to go. And my parents were like, great, we're going to take her. And they're like, no, 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 you have to wait for an ambulance. So I sat there and I waited like three more hours for the ambulance, not realizing we're losing precious time, right? I ended up at a third hospital. University Hospital here in San Antonio. And I immediately got taken into a room. And I mean, within five minutes, they were like, you had a stroke. And they got me into the CAT scan machine. And they realized that I didn't just have a stroke, but that I had so many clots throughout my body. Both my carotids had clots. One was completely occluded. I had multiple pulmonary embolisms. And so I was admitted in that hospital because I was pregnant they couldn't give me some of like the clot busting drugs so they tried to put me on Lovenox and I had a weird reaction and at that point they didn't think I was going to make it and so they asked me if I wanted a priest they told me to say bye to my parents they told me to say bye to my husband that I needed to say anything I needed to say and I got taken to ICU they said we don't know if we can save you but we're going to do our best they were very honest with me. That's the hospital that continues to treat me today. They have earned my trust and respect. I was in the hospital about three weeks. I ended up miscarrying. I ended up getting diagnosed with antiphospholipid syndrome, which is an autoimmune clotting disorder. And that is what caused the stroke as well as all the PEs and all the other clots throughout my body. Obviously, I did survive. <laughs> I am left with permanent vision damage, so I don't see anything at all out of my right eye. It is like blackout black. But I, I remember everything. It was, it was a very dazed feeling, but I was conscious. I almost like checked out emotionally, like when things got too intense. It's like I went numb. 
Angela wasn't given a recovery plan when she was discharged from hospital. Before I left the hospital, they made sure that I could like walk and, you know, do stairs. I was very short of breath because of the PEs. And so I also left on oxygen, but they didn't put me through any kind of rehab or anything. And I think at the time I didn't necessarily want it. I think I was still like in shock and I'm not sure, like I didn't, you know, I know everyone's stroke is different. And so I didn't like have trouble walking. I didn't have trouble speaking, although I'm, I'm very forgetful now. It, it affected me and my brain and it was very invisible. Like people look at me and the first thing they say is, you don't look like you had a stroke. I was very angry. I was angry that I was ignored. I was angry that two hospitals missed my stroke. The first one being, I mean, they pride themselves as a state-of-the-art stroke center. And every time I see that sign, I like have this internal rage in me. So I had a lot of anger, resentment, fear, you know, being told I couldn't have kids. I was scared for my marriage. I gave my husband an out where I was like, if you want to leave, please leave. Now is the time. I can handle it. I want it all at once, right? Like I just want it one and done. And so, um, but he's like, no, I'm staying. I was scared to drive because of the vision loss. It took me about three or four months before I, I wanted to drive again. And even then I was really cautious. Like I was only driving during the day on roads I knew, never on the highway. And now I drive at night on the highway in the rain. <laughs> like I, you know, you push yourself more and more. I did start getting back behind the camera, but I quickly realized that I could not keep up <laughs> at the same rate I used to. And especially the following year. So as far as like my recovery, I, in that first year, I'd always been interested in yoga. I was always a yogi. I had been doing yoga since my 20s, but it was always like a physical practice. And I think our Western culture is very focused on it as like a fitness. And I turned to yoga in a much different way. It became a spiritual practice for me. I am not religious. I was raised Catholic, but I turned away from religion for my own reasons. And, you know, at the time, especially my mom, she was like, she wanted me to like find Jesus and find God. And I was like, that's not, that's not where I'm at right now. But I did turn to my yoga practice, which if you know anything about yoga, it can be a very spiritual practice. And if we go through all the limbs of yoga, it is a path to like love and acceptance. And I threw myself into that. So my recovery involved a lot of yoga, which a lot of people, you know, they think of like headstands. And I'm like, no, no, no. Like so, a lot of it was just sitting there and meditating and sitting with my uncomfortable feelings of anger, of resentment, of being ignored, of not being taken seriously. Coming up, Angela on how other conditions have affected her recovery. I ended up getting diagnosed with a lung disease, a very rare one called chronic thrombolytic pulmonary hypertension. In 2018, I had to have open heart surgery on my lungs. And without the surgery, they gave me two years to live. And the importance of communication. Be vulnerable and let that person be vulnerable with you. And it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, you're going to have uncomfortable conversations, you know, like me asking my husband, like, hey, I can't give you kids. You want out? 
<laughs> like that's not a fun conversation, but communication is, I think, key to that. Let's hear how Angela's self-therapy led to a change in career. I did a, a yoga program, so I am now an RYT um, registered 500-hour yoga instructor. I'm trained in adaptive and accessible yoga. I wanted to become a yoga instructor because I wanted to be there for people like me who have chronic illnesses or disabilities who didn't feel like a normal yoga class was accessible to them. And I want to show them like yoga is accessible. So I really threw myself into that. But in 2017, at the same time as I was doing my yoga training, I ended up in the hospital again for a minor surgery, which it would have been minor if it had been a normal person, but being on blood thinners, it involved bridging and all this stuff. They couldn't put me under anesthesia because my oxygen levels weren't good and they didn't know why. And so I had the surgery without anesthesia, not fun. And then I ended up on oxygen 24-7 and that was in 2017. So it was kind of like a one-two, I felt like, because it was like, yeah, you have a stroke. And I was like, okay, like, I'm going to get through this. I got this. Like, I got to that place. And it was like, now you're on oxygen and you have this to deal with. And that was a whole nother process of getting diagnosed with the disease that was caused by all that to begin with. I ended up getting diagnosed with a lung disease, a very rare one called chronic thrombolytic pulmonary hypertension. In 2018, I had to have open heart surgery on my lungs. And without the surgery, they gave me two years to live. So I had to have the surgery. And so it was like one thing after another. Like, I don't feel like I had time to like sit. It was like survival mode all the time. The lung disease is what makes it really hard because I'm not on oxygen 24-7 and the surgery saved my life, but I wasn't cured. I'm actually looking at possible medical procedures back out in California. The disease I have is so rare, I can't get treated in Texas. I have to travel to California. So I'm kind of like in this limbo state. Those procedures should have happened actually in 2020, but COVID happened and everything got postponed. But along the way, over the five years, I realized that my body couldn't physically keep up with photography. So I went back and I became a certified sexologist. And so my passion is working around body image and sex, and in particular, working with people with chronic illnesses and disabilities and helping them to have intimacy in their life, because I think that's an important element. You know, doctors always talk about the life and it's like, yeah, but I think we also need to look at quality of life. And for a lot of people, sex is an important component in our life. And so I think if we want to have quality of life, it's something we need to address. And that I think a lot of stroke survivors, I'm in a lot of support groups, and it's always that question. Like It's almost like that elephant in the room that people are scared to talk about because our culture kind of has made sex taboo. But it's important. So now I'm a sexologist. I do body image coaching, sex coaching and yoga instructing, and I kind of combined it all where it's really an experience of like learning to love yourself and self-care and acceptance, and then also learning like communication, like with your partner so that you can keep enjoying life. And so I'm really easy to find. If anyone wants to find me, I'm L, it's E-E-L-L-E, Raven, R-A-V-E-N.com.
if anyone just kind of wants to see what I'm doing, I do uh, occasionally free classes. I teach a sex and body image class, and I also teach a sex and disability class. 2020 came and it put us in a grinding halt and it forced me to sit with stillness more. And obviously 2020 brought out a lot of mixed feelings with the pandemic, with the social injustice of our world, of, of everything. And for me, it's all tied together. Like when COVID happened, it was like people would love to say, oh, only the sick and, and old are going to die. And I'm like, I'm not old, but I am sick and I don't look it, but I'm actually in heart failure right now. It's really hurtful to see the community at large just dismiss us. It was really hard. And then like the social justice thing to me, it's, it's very much tied to like advocacy work also for people with disabilities. You know, it's all about the marginalized communities that we have in our population and how can we as a community protect those that are the most vulnerable. Finally, this year, the five-year anniversary, I did have a little bit of a hard time this year with it, partly because it's also on the anniversary of the stroke, I was told I was in heart failure. I'm processing it, and I'm knowing that this is my path, and I have to trust it, and I have to stay in gratitude. And that's that's what yoga taught me, was um, even in the darkest of times, that we have to find that light, even if that light is within ourselves. And that a gratitude can be the path to that light. So I try to live in the state of appreciating things I do have rather than missing the things that I don't. To a stroke survivor, one, I would say you're stronger than you know. You really are. And the next thing I would say is, yes, we may be treated by doctors who have these amazing degrees and have all this knowledge, but we still know our body. And I think we have to trust our body and trust that we know it. And if there's anything I could go back five years ago and do is be my own advocate, which I, I wasn't. I was, what do the doctors always love to write? Pleasant 38-year-old woman. <laughs> you know, it was like, I was that, oh, okay. It's, you know, it's anxiety. Okay. I'm, you know, I trusted them. And looking back, I would have been like, no, you need to check me. Something is wrong. So yeah, it's it's that you need to be your own advocate. The doctors may have the, the highest degrees, but they don't live in your body. You know your body and you know when it's off. It's so hard because every stroke is different. But in cultural anthropology, we're taught that we can't understand things from our perspective. Like we just can't. We really have to let go of whatever ideas we have of the world and see something through another person's eyes. And so I think that if you are a loved one, it's really important that you let go. And you also let go of how you would handle it because you can give advice, but believe the person's experience and sit with the uncomfortable, be vulnerable and let that person be vulnerable with you. And it's uncomfortable. It's, it's, you're going to have uncomfortable conversations, you know, like me asking my husband, like, hey, I can't give you kids. You want out? <laughs> like, that's not a fun conversation. But communication is, I think, key to that. 
Angela has taken her experience of stroke and used it to make a positive impact on the lives of others. She's now a registered yoga instructor as well as a licensed sexologist, which she uses to teach and promote intimacy and body positivity for people with disabilities. Coming up in the next episode of Stroke Stories. Christmas time, did my usual Christmas shopping. I didn't have a basket and I was carrying my cards and wrapping paper and stuff like that. And suddenly my left side just went again and I, and I dropped everything that I had in my hands. My speech was slurred. Unfortunately, because of my age possibly, people thought I was drunk and was stepping over me. I couldn't get myself up. I couldn't pick up my belongings. Thank you for subscribing to Stroke Stories and for rating and commenting on the episodes you hear. It really does help us spread the word. And if you are or you know of a stroke survivor and there's a story you can share, please contact via Twitter or Instagram. Our DMs are always open. The Stroke Stories podcast was produced by Aidan Judd. I'm Mark Goodyear. Thank you for listening. <laughs>